Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Football. It's football. It's football. TCL Broadcast Studios. Maggie, Judd, Manny, and Matthew Collar back from Los Angeles. You like my tan? I got a question for you. Wow. Well, you look really good, but I've got a question. I've got a football question for you. Seems like it's appropriate. Football! When did we unfortunately decide that defense was going to be optional or non (laughs) existent in the National Football League? Because somebody should have told Zim. Because he might, he might have wanted to find a different profession before 2018. So, uh, Sage Roosevelt and I dedicated our podcast, uh, Purple Podcast, this morning to this exact subject. And it's basically a perfect storm so far this year. Like, you have great wide receivers all over the league that have developed into these amazing freak show players. There's lots of route-running technicians, guys who are running 4-3s all over more than you've ever had before. You have no quarterback injuries from what I can tell. Am, am I wrong? Am I missing one? There are no quarterback injuries in the NFL now. Yeah, which, nothing that's not knocked a quarterback out for like games. Right. Rogers, they can't but, get hurt because they're being protected so much right. by the officials who are whistling that, plays down when they stub the football. That yeah. is another part of it. Our former NFL player friend was offended that... Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield got one of those calls. It's like, come on, let him get a few hits. But rookies don't have to take hits. You don't have to be tough anymore as a quarterback. True. And, you know, you can bemoan that all you want, and I kind of do too, because I remember back in the day when you used to respect the heck out of Elway or Marino or Jim Kelly when they would take shots and get back up, but you don't really have to do that anymore. And then the other thing is, too, that all 32 teams have pro football focus, and the depth of the numbers that Pro Football Focus can provide for these teams, and they have their own analytics departments and everything else, I think they're using them for their game planning so they know in all situations what the defense is doing it, for, for everything. If you gave them third down and seven in the fourth quarter, what are they doing? What types of coverages are they using? All those things. Plus, when there are genius offensive minds out there like Kyle Shanahan and like Sean McVay, they are just being copied like crazy. And the league has always been that way, but now what they have, the number of people working for teams, the the amount of tape that they have, all the numbers, everything, yeah. I think it's just a perfect storm. And plus, you added a bunch of talent at the quarterback position this year through that draft. Do you think it is... All right, I said this to Judd on Friday as we dissected Rams and and Vikings and what happened, and I, not to not to exonerate the Vikings defense, which has not been at all what what it was advertised to be. 
But I came away from that game thinking a lot more highly about Jared Goff and Sean McVay than I thought, well, the Vikings defense laid an egg. I thought, holy cow, Jared Goff is surgical and precise, and Sean McVay is a schemer, and he's creative, and he's he's generating mismatches Mm -hmm. at the line of scrimmage. Um, I don't know. I that that was my thought, anyways. I mean, do you think Mike Zimmer has fallen behind the league in some way when you watch these last five games going back to last year? So to that point, think about even just when we're looking at the league, the last couple of drafts and what what they've brought into this league. I mean, the Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, Jared Goff, all these guys are putting up big numbers. And then Rosen's in now. He makes a couple throws yesterday. Mayfield's got 40 points. So it's just the overall league talent just in two years has gone way up by a couple of really great quarterback drafts. To your point about Jared Goff, it's another perfect storm sort of situation for them to be as good as they are. They led the NFL in points last year, so it wasn't like the Vikings were just beaten by a team that doesn't know what it's doing. That was a... The Buffalo game. But in this case, it was a quarterback who has great accuracy and execution. I mean, he's basically like maybe a another version of Kirk Cousins, really, right? Like he's very accurate and he's incredibly smart. And if you set him up the right way with the right weapons, he's gonna make those great throws that he's asked to to make. They have three tremendous wide receivers. They have the best all-around running back in the entire NFL. They have a Hall of Fame left tackle and an offensive line that overall is very strong. I mean, this is like the San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers in the late 80s. Oh, and by the way, remember two off-seasons ago when Whitworth signed with the Rams, and the Rams were such a mediocre, mm-hmm. just like just like no, no signs that the Rams were going to pop at all. And we sat here on this show, Judd, and we said... Why in the heck, why with like three years left in your career, why the hell would you sign with them over the Vikings? Oh, that's why. There must have been an amazing sales pitch behind the scenes, too, by Sean McVay and company saying, I I know it doesn't look this way right now, but here's what's to come, right? And and they were right. (laughs) And, And you have one of the top three or four smartest offensive minds to go along with this. So it's it's just this offense is so stacked with the weapons that Sean McVay can use everything that he has in his trick bag. For most offenses, most offensive coordinators, most situations, offense or defense, you sort of have to work around whatever your weakness is, right? Like, okay, well, you know, the Vikings, they have these struggles on the interior to block at the guard position. So now you got to kind of work around that and, and find different ways at the right tackle to give them a little help with the tight end or whatever it might be. The Rams don't have any of that. They have so much strength at every single position on offense, and then a quarterback who can make the accurate throws, as he always has, and he's the number one overall pick for a reason. When he was in college, he was accurate as hell, so it's not a big shock to see that. So if you're Sean McVay, you've just got all these different things that you can use, and you can see why what happened on Thursday night happened, because this is an offense that's worthy of a a Super Bowl. So now if you're Mike Zimmer... What the hell do you do now? I mean, crochet because, maybe or knitting classes <laughs> or something else. Nuclear. Well, because I'm looking at Anthony Barr, for example. I mean, how many times, not just on the scoring plays, but how many times have we just see him out on an island by himself trying to defend against a wide receiver where he just has no chance yeah. in that particular situation? So now if you're Mike Zimmer, now everybody else has seen that. Doug Peterson has seen that now on what happened on Thursday. So he's gonna he's gonna dial up something. I, I'm I'm guessing for Sunday. So now, if you're Mike Zimmer, what what do you do with Anthony Barr? Do you start rushing him more? Do you take him out of 
sort of that linebacker position and make him more of just like strictly a pass rusher? What do you do now? Yeah, there, there's a, a lot of different options that have not been explored. But, I mean, the first thing they need is their nickel corner to play like an NFL player at some point. Oh, I mean, gosh. this is this is getting to the point where I think Mackenzie Alexander might not be caliber of playing in this league. He's so far off. A lot of these big plays you look at, two against uh, the Green Bay Packers were blatantly his, and Mike Zimmer benched him. There was another one against Buffalo that I'm almost certain was on him. And then this one with Cooper Cup and his 70-yard touchdown was on him too if because everyone else is playing man coverage, yeah. and he drops into his own for what reason, I'm not sure. Yeah. He's starting to look like Josh Robinson. Collar, I don't think you were here for Josh Robinson, were you? I, I was not, but, I mean, that's a... Boy, a, was a, he bad. But, a, but it's example. a big ask, too. Yeah, like at, at least Josh Robinson would be in the in the spot he needed to be. Sometimes that's the problem. <laughs> but jo- in Josh's defense, too, he he was he was an outside corner who they just decided was going to replace Antoine. Yeah, and that's you can't just do that. And, right. and the nickel corner is a spot that not everybody who can play outside corner should be playing. Yep, and that might be Mackenzie Alexander's case. Although I don't think he's particularly good at outside corner at this level either. I think I mean I think he was a good college player, but. He doesn't have some freakish physical skill like someone like Trey Wayne's has. Yeah, he's just not good. I think that that's it. And and Mike, and Mike Hughes is good, but he's not ready for that position because it's such an intellectual position. So I, I think the guy that they are missing really big time here is Terrence Newman. I mean, he's and, close enough to the... I mean, I guess you could activate him if you... Could you just boot you, someone you, off the no, roster? You can't. And, you can't. You because can't. he retired, against, you can't. Yeah, it's against the rules. Because otherwise they would he have, could go play for someone else, though, couldn't he? I don't know if he can. I don't think so. Pelissero they, just they tweet, would have to, tweeted that, that day that he can't come out of retirement and play for the Vikings. Right. They would have Why to release that? him, and then he could go play for someone else. Because okay. you could st- you could stash guys. You could be like, oh, he's retired, and then someone mm-hmm. gets hurt. Oh, he's unretired. He's That's back. That's a good point. Brian so, Robinson. No, it's, he's retired. Yeah. Right. And then he's unretired or something, uh, which B-Rob has not retired as far as I know. Nor was he on the list of players they brought in to work out, right? Right. That was interesting to me because I guess I maybe I wasn't seeing it right. I, I thought he was okay during the spring uh, and, and summer, but... I mean, they must have felt that he was really falling off the edge there. Uh, the two guys they brought in, Lamar Houston and Robert Ayers, according to Tom Pelissero, were both good pass rushers. And even last year, Ayers got a lot of pressures, even though he didn't get a lot of sacks. So those might be options for the Vikings. That tells us a little something about Everson Griffin, which kind of speaks to the perfect storm of things going badly now, because you have... Everson Griffin not playing. He's a top five player at that position in the entire league. That's a huge deal. You can't just bring in another guy. And Stephen Weatherly's been okay, but you just can't bring in another guy and have him replace Everson Griffin. Everson does everything. It's 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 not just pressuring the quarterback. He's got 50 different pass rush moves that he can use at any time. He's a great run stuffer. He's the energy, the motor behind that defense. But, you know, just... To circle back to Newman and his role, I was watching the tape back of when the Vikings held them to seven points, and there is a play where Terrence Newman pretty clearly calls his own blitz and forces Jared Goff to throw the ball away or he gets sacked or something. I I think he just has to throw it away. And that kind of tells you about what he was thinking out there, what he was seeing, his intellectual level. Does Zimmer give that freedom? For him, yeah. Okay, so because that's interesting. Because for a lot him of, and Harrison, I think they do. Yeah, because I remember, you know, and and Judd was the lead beat writer for this team. 
There were legitimate clashes between Brad Childress, the lead beat writer. That's right. L-E-A-D. L-E in all caps. Football. That's right. That's what I brought. Yep. Where Brad Childress would actively call out Brett Favre in press conferences and on the sidelines for changing things at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Like, wait a second, you have a 40-year-old Hall of Fame or, in, in Terrence Newman's case, borderline Hall of Fame caliber player. You need to give them some freedom to do what they need to do at the line of scrimmage, right? Yeah. But you're not going to give that... You can't even trust Mackenzie Alexander to line up correctly, let alone like, okay, let's play some, let's do some calculus at the line of scrimmage here. Yeah, and and that's where you know Terrence is supposed to be helping these guys, but there's only so much you can do. I mean, things against the Sean McVay defense are so baffling for, uh, or a Sean McVay offense are so baffling for a defense. You have the one where Robert Woods catches the touchdown. They lined up. <laughs> In like a three tight end I formation, and then shifted to empty. He, you were so excited by that. It was incredible. Like you never <laughs> see that. Tell? Can't you see color. No way. You can't do that. They shifted to empty, and then they they've got a empty. wide receiver on a, a linebacker, and it was just like, wait a minute. Mackie and Judd's max protect. <laughs> you you can't go from we three, need an empty two or three tight ends like that. To, I'm looking for an empty. Mackie and Judd go empty. <laughs> Some might argue we've been that for well, like four and a half years. Now, <laughs> one thing they could do Touché. that would be really interesting, circling back to Manny's question, is they could play six DBs maybe. I mean, you see teams around the league now starting to do that with the passing game that's going on, and you could maybe tell your linebackers, I don't care if they run play action. If they've got to march down the field on us five yards at a time with their running back, mm. we're going to make them do that no. and mm. not give up big plays. Because I remember somebody tweeted me about this or emailed about a quote from Zimmer where John Filippo told him, we don't believe in Philly when they beat the Vikings. We don't believe that we can march down the field on you. We've got to hit big plays on this Vikings defense. That's our only chance. And I think teams are probably looking at it that way. And so they're using these play actions, and they're kind of going for broke on a lot of plays. And it's working so far this year. They've given up a ton of big plays. They've got to find a way to limit those. Maybe using more defensive backs and fewer linebackers and giving up the run is the way to do that. I would just say if they're going to bring in Lamar Houston, can they put a clause in in his contract to make no sack celebration dances so that he doesn't <laughs> well, tear right. his ACL that's again right. yeah, like yeah. he did in Fox oh, that like four years ago? Yeah, it was with the Bears. Yeah. Let's come back, talk more Vikings. Uh, they've This is going to be an interesting game this weekend here, too, because Philadelphia's, Philadelphia and the Vikings are in kind of a similar spot. So we'll get Courtney Cronin from ESPN.com. Collars in the house. It's the football hour, Judd Zolgad. But first time talk to Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where he always gets just bleeding purple in football for an hour straight. Speaking of bleeding and the purple podcast, we had a uh, bloody long snapper on oh my Thursday gosh. night. Oh, my gosh. Well, lost part of his finger. Lost part of his finger. So they almost had, uh, Courtney, they almost had an emergency long snapper situation again like last year. You know, I had my red phone, which I uh, bring with me to every single game, and I plug in. Uh, it's, it's actually the emergency long snapper hotline. It's kind of like what the White House has with the direct line to Russia and China. <laughs> um, I've got I've got tabs on available long snappers at any given moment, and. You know, if Kevin McDermott wasn't the definition of a warrior, uh, maybe even slightly crazy, um, I would have been on that line. I was, you know, very close to picking up the phone and, you know, seeing if uh, what's going on in Alaska right now. But um, that was an incredible, incredible story kind of lost within the uh, loss in Los Angeles that McDermott had his eyes, uh, the, the 
he has a quarter quarter less of a pinky right now. Uh, um, yeah. After having surgery, because it got ripped off in the face mask of an opposing player, and I oh. believe Tom Compton's face mask was kind of sandwiching in that whole thing. So very Ronnie Lot of him to uh, go get 16 stitches, undergo surgery to kind of repair the bone break on Friday. And as, you know, from what I'm told, it's not looking like he's going to be missing any time, and he can play through it. So. Yeah, kind of crazy. But so, but I know that there are long snappers out there who are currently looking for jobs and probably keeping tabs on this one. This, this reminds me of when Alex Boone said once that reporters wish they were football players, and I'm like, no, nope, no, 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 actually, no. no. Sorry, no. That's, that's, that's no going to be. Me, I'm going yeah. to let <laughs> you handle. I'm cool on DraftKings. Can I actually, ask yeah. a? Gro- I got <laughs> love my. Pinky. I got a gross <laughs> question. How how does one? Okay, I understand if your finger gets jammed and that would break the bone in there. But how does it actually come off? Did part of the bone come off? Yeah, the bone was snapped. From what I was told, the bone was snapped kind of at the top of his pinky, which is why he took ah. off the tip of it. Uh, football! Football! Exactly. That's what I thought when I heard that. I was like, wow. Uh, that's a that's an ultimate football guy move. So, I mean, apparently the, the, the pinky, as I was told, was left out there somewhere on the field. Oh, oh, oh it's a collector's <laughs> item. <laughs> What's that? It, well, it's a McDermott fingertip, oh, only $5. I, I, I just don't know how these guys do it. Well, because my stepdad, he doesn't have this situation, but a lot of his teammates, <laughs> a lot of his former teammates, they all have, like, their pinky, are, they're all, like, in that L shape because of whatever, like, they lost a tendon or whatever in the pinky. And you like just look at it. Yeah, and you just look at it it's like, ah, how do you do that? That's just, ugh. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, I mean, let's hope he's right-handed because uh, oh, that's going to be okay. tough to be left-handed and trying to write like that. And yet, still the most disgusting thing from Thursday was the defense. Oh! oh, no, oh there it is. <laughs> he's been so good with his zingers lately. He's yeah. been texting me about one a day for the last like, three or four days. He's so just trying your one-liners out before bringing him to the air. That's um, great. That's, that's what Twitter's for, Kyle. So, so, Courtney, I know that you. no one grinds the, the tape quite like you do. Um, what is your solution? We were just talking about different things the Vikings could do to try to slow down some of these big plays what's your thought because that seems to be the biggest issue it's not it's not a play-to-play basis it's just giving up a 70-yard touchdown or a 55-yard dump off to a running back against buffalo things like that that have not happened in the past yeah i think that you know we talk about the past defense and you know it's the same thing that keeps showing up week after week with the the misdirection some of the play fakes that they're biting on and why guys are getting out of position um, it's interesting, kind of when we talked to Sheldon Richardson today, I kind of got a little bit of a vibe there that, you know, the pass rush, it, it, I mean, it was supposed to be this, this lethal thing that you unleash on quarterbacks, um, and, that, and that was kind of going to be the, the bread and butter for what they did, especially up front. But I think that's not allowing some of these matchups to really, you know, come to fruition as, that, as that's happening. And with, you know, quarterbacks are able to pick apart guys in the deep and uh, the back end, you know, especially when you, you bring safeties up, things like that. So, I mean, I think it's going to start with the pass rush and maybe trying to figure out different ways to, uh, you know, to pressure quarterbacks and find, you know, find kind of a happy medium there because they've been trying and they just have, I mean, obviously with the play-action game and, you know, changing launch points for quarterbacks, that certainly played a factor in why they've struggled at pressuring quarterbacks. But 
something's got to give up there first before it changes on the back end. But I'm also not opposed to a complete change in personnel. I think Matthew and I talked about in the locker room earlier. I mean, why not go six defensive backs? I mean, clearly Anthony Barr has been struggling uh, for, for a number of reasons uh, throughout the first four games of the season, particularly against that Rams, uh, you know, against some, some slot receivers, some running backs. I mean, he was really thrown the whole gamut. Uh, by Sean McVay on Thursday, but why not go three safeties and try to bring George Iloka into that mix or rotate him in somehow? I'm still kind of baffled by that, but there's certainly ways to fix it, um, and you'd almost have to think that personnel changes are coming with what Mike Zimmer said, that we're going to look at everything, you know, going in the 10 days to do it, going into this Philly game. And why is this, it's weird to, to me too, because Zim is seen as this guy that, that makes changes and is not afraid to experiment. Why is Barr in coverage though? Like that's what, that's what confuses me. I mean, we sat here and talked for months about how, how he's most effective probably with his hand down and rushing and, and mm-hmm. as a guy who we didn't know where he was going to be. So I'm a bit confused as to why the, the Vikings defense through these first four games has basically come out and we're like, this is not what we expected. And it's basically, uh, for, for the most part, it's not nearly as innovative as what it could be. Yeah, I mean, interesting because he was a defensive lineman for a good portion of training camp. I mean, right. he was working, you know, with the lineman doing the patty cake drill that, that I love so much. And I mean, it seemed like he was really doing well with that. Um, and then we barely see him, you know, we barely see him half of the pass rusher. So I don't really know. Um, that's something that I think deserves a little bit more exploration going forward as to why that role for him has been so limited in the first four games. And obviously, you know, they didn't blitz golf a lot. They didn't really have the opportunities to do that with all the play action that they were doing um, and just how, you know, they're able to kind of move the pocket and move him around too. So that's something that I think is, very much a scheme-related thing. Um, one thing I keep going back to when I watch the, the Cooper Cup touchdown and, you know, Todd Gurley and, you know, the three touchdowns that Barr was the closest defender to is, you know, why was he in those situations? Is that a direct, is that a reflection of, you know, defensive scheme, of him being out of place, of him not, you know, uh, of miscommunication, that, can, that line that we continue to hear? I mean, the second touchdown at the Cup, Zimmer said, post-game Thursday that it wasn't Mackenzie Alexander being out of position and not following Cup on the crossing route. It was safety help that was supposed to come and never did. So the miscommunication things are – there's there's something bigger than just guys are not talking on defense. And I think that that's – you know, Zimmer was pretty honest on Friday saying he's overcoaching his guys. And I think that, you know, when that starts and you're hearing about the pass rush and – you know, all the emphasis there that maybe it's kind of the same thing on the back end, too. You know, barring coverage is, you know, I'm with you, John. I think that that's not where he needs to be right now, certainly not after what we saw against the Rams on Thursday. Uh, Courtney, can you put a pinky finger on why they can't run the football oh. so far? Wow. Oh, I, I, you. I well, you're Two for two. This is, a, this is a thing that we've been talking about <laughs> since, uh, what day was it? April 27th? Um, the offensive, they have got about three guys who could start on any team uh, on the offensive line right now, and it is a serious problem. They, they tried changing protections throughout the first half of the Rams game, and, you know, the running backs are still getting hit in the backfield, you know, before they reach the line of scrimmage. I mean, it's a problem. Um, and, you know, certainly 
the situation stuff of, of, you know, they get down in a 17-0 hole against Buffalo. You're not going to be helping your run game by trying to hand it off. I mean, I think you should hand it off more than four times, personally. Um, but the imbalance on offense is going gonna, is gonna to kill them at some point. It's not sustainable. What they need to find with their run game is ways to, you know, aid in protections, maybe even using different personnel groupings um, to go heavy in that regard just because, they're not very good on the offensive line, and this is unfortunately the story that we knew would pan out when they didn't put the attention on the offensive line. Uh, the day Joe Berger retired, they got considerably worse, and they never fixed the problem. And I think it's kind of scary to say, you know, with what Mike Zimmer said last Friday, that, yeah, I think it's set for now. Um, that's worrisome, because what are you doing with Brett Jones then? I mean, a guy that you brought in, did a pretty decent job, uh, you know, at center and Pat Elfine's uh, absence. Obviously, you know, struggled uh, and struggled in run blocking as we saw. But I think he, he's still a piece. I'd, I'd honestly much rather see him out there week five at left guard than Tom Compton. Uh, I don't think I'm the only one who thinks that too. No, you're. Uh, I think we're all tracking. You know, I'm just looking at the spread here for this weekend's game against the Eagles. Uh, the Vikings are underdogs, but only by a single digit. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Ha! You guys are awful. Oh, oh my come God. on! Wow! <laughs> no, went over the heads of everyone in the studio. I'm not here. participating. On, I'm not. I'm. I've ducked out. <laughs> I'm not participating in this. A man a lost his digit. finger. No, it's a single digit. A part of his finger. Didn't lose the whole finger. Lost part of his finger. Three quarters of the finger. <laughs> it's on the field at the Coliseum right now. Someone should go get it. No, well, no, they, no, 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 no. It, it got picked no. up by they. Uh, they clear the field after the game with those those things. The you know, steamroller things. Steamroller things. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, down in the, it's down in the dirt bin, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> Someone's going to find it next game they play. Oh, the like, can you imagine? I mean, if you're down there and you're one of those offensive linemen or a nose tackle and oh. your, your hand's in the dirt in week 10. <laughs> And some, you see, some see USC, McDermott's finger just sitting. Some USC offensive lineman is just going <laughs> to put their hand into the dirt, and then all of a sudden it's going to be Kevin uh, McDermott's pinky. All right. On that note, Christ. Courtney, we'll see. We'll, we'll, <laughs> no, he's not participating in today's game. We'll, Sorry, Courtney. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow, Courtney. <laughs> see you. Bye. See you guys tomorrow. All right. Courtney Cronin from ESPN.com. What? <laughs> That's disgusting. That is, yeah. I still don't understand. You know what, though? I don't get I got to say, she really nailed that segment, though. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN.com. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. Football. That's right. Football Hour, TCL Broadcast Studios. All right, Collar, tell us what happened with your favorite head coach in the entire National Football League, Doug Marone, who was the head coach in Buffalo when you were there and grew to detest you and hate your guts. <laughs> really did. Yeah. And now holds the same title for the Jacksonville Jaguars, a highly successful team with a great quarterback in uh, in Blake Bortles. And still probably detests and hates your guts. Oh, I, I hear Marone absolutely hates you. Okay, so... The Jacksonville Jaguars scored a touchdown late in the game against the New York Jets to go up 29 to 12. All right. 29 to 12. They were killing the Jets. Your guy, Judge Blake Bortles, was throwing all over the place on the Jets. They're killing him. For some reason, Doug Marone decides to go for two. Ah. 
And they go up 30. He followed the Brett Bielema philosophy, didn't he? Yeah, Judd knows it's, what I'm talking about. It's po- Well, it's possible that they did they miss. Okay, I didn't look on this. No, they they got the, I think they, no, they failed it. Okay, they so they so they scored to go up 31 to 12, and then they failed it. So they won 31 to 12. 25 seconds left in the game. They're up 31 to 12, and they go for two. So naturally, some people suggest that maybe the sportsmanship wasn't the best there. In fact, my roommate in college used to do this to me on Madden. Like if he was up a couple of touchdowns just to rub it in, like, all right, guy, you know, remember this one. Yeah, Here's a two-pointer. It's for Madden players and Brett Bielema yes, is really I, I remember being really angry once at my roommate for doing that. Just be like, dude, that's just that's just not right. But so you just gotta use the Bielema excuse that the card said go for two. Now Doug Marone <laughs> gave about <laughs> Now, well, that's what he said. said. That's what he said. He said said the card said. Not not exactly, but he said that basically he was told that that's a good time to go for two or something with being up whatever number of scores or whatever to go up by 21. So they're they're implementing advanced analytics with 25 seconds left against the Jets. (laughs) Yes. Okay. The blowout game. And so he says that now he gives this wackadoodle explanation about the clock and they were going to kneel, but they couldn't kneel because the other team committed a penalty and all these all these things is all over the place. And then he says, if I had to do it all over again, yeah, I wish someone would have said something about not going for two. Wait, so if he had to do it all over again, still blame somebody else. Yes, okay. he wishes someone else told him this. Now, hang on. He says, because one thing I don't want to do is get my character attacked, which has happened in the past by me, uh, and, <laughs> and happens again, Doug Barone said. Now... Look, you can do that if you want. I mean, I I don't care. I don't care about rubbing it in. These guys, everybody's getting paid out there. So if you want to rub it in, it's just the explanation that's hilarious of him saying like, "Oh yeah, I, I didn't know. I wish someone had told me not to go for it." As if you need to be told to not go for two when you're already winning by twenty See, points. Uh, the, and the other left. the other acceptable bad explanation in that spot would have been, "Listen, we." we we just wanted to work on a set, right? We just wanted to get some live action for one of our two-point sets or something. Or put something on tape would have been another good one. We just wanted to put something oh, yeah. on tape wanna, for later in the we're season. We're the judge yeah. button. We want to put that on tape so you'll be scared of us next time. I mean, he could have said, look... Like we're trying to really show the league that we're here and and we're taking on Jalen Ramsey's personality. We're going to be that type of team. And if anybody wants to mess with us, then come swim in our pool at Jacksonville and we're going to whip your butt. If he had said that, you would have been like, oh, okay, all right. Actually, we're going to play every quarterback desperate team that didn't trade for Blake Bortles. We're going to shove it down your throats by going for two in the late stages of the fourth quarter. Now, this reminds me of a time in 2014, and I looked up to check the details on this. That Jerry Hughes got penalized for something. Jerry Hughes, who whooped the Vikings. 15 pressures, you mean, on, yes. in one Sunday? Who, who people know much better now here than they did uh, three <laughs> weeks ago. So Jerry Hughes, yeah. great player, got pulled from a game that they lost by Doug Marone and was never put back in, and they lost. And he just sat the whole rest of the game. And after, he was asked about it, and he had no idea that Jerry Hughes had been sat for the whole game. He had no clue that his best pass rusher had not been out there. So then the next day, he comes back with the snap counts, and then he blames the defensive line coach, saying that, I need to be told when guys are not in the game. And I mean, it was just totally nuts. So, Jacksonville, I wish you the best of luck. 
The, he totally mismanaged the AFC God. Championship so game. So there's just a screw loose here, though. He kept you out yeah. of a Super Bowl. Think about how amazing everything has to be for that organization outside of coach and quarterback. Like, coach and quarterback are actively trying to shipwreck what they're doing yeah. there. And everything else is apparently so good that they can still be playing for AFC championships. And what's funny is they have a good offensive coordinator. Like, he was in Buffalo, Nate Hackett. He's a really bright young guy who might eventually be a head coach in the league. So he's, I think, getting the most out of Blake Bortles you could possibly ever get. And yet this guy who's coaching them is kind of... What did Jerry Hughes say? Screw loose the, the day, the day well, that they came to him and said... He, we sort of forgot about you, Jerry. Sorry about that. Jerry and uh, Doug did not get along. In fact, I think that Jerry uh, got along worse with Doug than the Buffalo media did. Um, well, I mean, there are many examples, though, of him just going off the deep end on stuff. So one that I had heard was he saw on Bills.com that they had included a training camp interception and he basically brought in the web people and cussed them out for including an EJ Manual, <laughs> EJ Manual interception. So how are you supposed to praise defensive players for having good practices <laughs> if you can't note that? I don't know. He, well, there's it, been some it, weird it, stuff it, here it was, too. So it was not allowed to be on the highlight tape from that day. Like th- this was the type of place that he ran. And now Doug used to listen to our show every morning. We discovered on his way into work. So at one point. <laughs> I was making uh, the observation that the Golden State Warriors had fired Mark Jackson because no one in the building could stand him. That was the quote from the, the I think it was the owner, said yes, that. Yeah. So I said, that might be the same case with Doug Marone, that he might be a good football coach. And I think he, the man really knows football. Like He's got a lot of respect in terms of his knowledge and what he was Sean Payton's offensive coordinator in New Orleans. So like he's a really smart football man. But if no one in the building can stand him, you could find somebody else. And can't think of any local examples I of recall, that happening right now. But you know, I I recall uh, hearing back on that uh, comment that Doug had been listening in his truck and was very very upset. <laughs> I I think we're just since we brought up him going for two late in the game, I just had to bring this up. This is uh, eight years ago with uh, Tim Brewster and Brett Bielema, their little exchange after that Wisconsin Minnesota game. <laughs> So, so Tim Brewster is just screaming obscenities at Brett Bielema, and Brett's just saying, "Card says twenty-five. Card says twenty-five. Go for two. Go for two. Card said a lot of things that day. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, What can people find on the latest Purple Podcast today, Matthew Collar? Sage and I talked about the explosion of passing around the NFL, the Vikings defense, how to resolve some things there, and. on Wednesday, I'm looking forward to a very special journeyman quarterback of the week with Sage. If you if you want to hear that, so each for each opponent, we're looking back at their great journeyman quarterbacks who played for them. So Love we've it. got a good one coming up. Love it. Go subscribe to the Purple Podcast, where you're also going to be able to find Vikings Vent Line every week on that same audio feed, and the debut of Purple Live tomorrow night at six o'clock, right here on 1500 ESPN with Collar and Cronin. We'll get our friend Patrick in here to wrap with Royce when we come back. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley. On 1500 ESPN. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. Quick check on your traffic. Uh, Things moving rather smoothly right now. No major crashes. We do have a little bit of a crash 
uh, 35 southbound uh, past the split down in Lakeville. That might be slowing things down a little bit. But otherwise, uh, things right now around the Metro moving rather smoothly. Final game of the year, and with a one-run lead, the Twins are going to change pitchers and catchers. this. Joe in tears. The love of the game of baseball. I don't know what he or the Twins could do to top this two, three, four years down the road. This has just been magical. Moncada the batter, Belial the pitcher. Been a long time since I've said, since I've said this. Mauer is the catcher. And it's just one pitch. What a moment. Joe Maurer will make an exit. Coming off the field for what might be the last hurrah. And we, we wrap up with Patrick Royce as we do each weekday. All right, sir, among things that you've seen the Twins do, where did yesterday having Joe come out and catch rank for you? Well, let me just say one thing. You know, the, obviously they were going to throw a ball, so there was no risk of a foul ball, but Moncada was the guy hitting, so he could have yeah. swung at it. You know, <laughs> that could have been a, it was only like a foot off the plate. He might have swung at it. You know, the guy's got 220 strikeouts or some damn thing, so that was risky. Well, I, it, it was, uh, it was, they did pretty good. Now, I thought he might take a batter or something. I was a little surprised it only lasted one pitch, but uh, I guess as they, uh, as they explained it afterwards, there was, uh, you know, he had to convince the wife to let him get back there for one pitch, I mm-hmm. guess. So Pat. he looks good. He looks good in that equipment, though, doesn't he, man? He looks good in that catching gear. Yeah, he's, I, you know, we, we talked a lot about this just early in the show, Pat, and it's been a long time since I've talked to you on the radio about Joe Maurer, and I think you and I were in lockstep on how underrated he was during the prime of his career. And I always, like, I think his MVP season is so unique in that a lot of fans and media and people look at it almost more of as an, as an indictment on him instead of a celebration. Yeah. Like like Adrian Peterson, we celebrate the year that he went for 2,000 yards. We don't look and say, well, he could have done that every year, right? But with Maurer, oh. we look at his MVP season, and, we, and, and most people, I don't know, I don't know how many people, but, it, but you know what I'm saying. I think the point you're making is he hit 28 home runs that here and everybody says where are they correct where are those 28 home runs yeah. yes I, i'll tell you in addition to everything else though i mean how the last couple three years people have softened i think but you know what's the number one thing that has softened people this last year him hitting leadoff all of a sudden you're not hearing about power and stuff because he's i know you i, I know phil the stat guy's Wanted that for two or three years. But all of a sudden, he's a leadoff hitter. Drawing walks, uh, you know, scoring runs, getting on base. And and people have relaxed about the uh, lack of power uh, because of where he's hitting the lineup, I think. I I just get that impression. And maybe because, you know, time is... Time has gotten people used to the fact he was making $23 million. They're still out there, though. I got some uh, Twitter remarks today. People still ripping him. So. Yeah. Pat, it, but it, it's, it's uh, I'll tell you, that last at bat, I told Judd that yesterday. I was fed. You don't have to see any of the other 8,003 plate appearances. All you got to do is see the last one. <laughs> that's, 
taking a 2-1 pitch two inches off the plate, then following one back, and then hitting a double and knowing how to run the bases. Always an underrated, magnificent base runner, Joe Mauer. Mm-hmm. Pat, me and uh, Judd talked about this in the 3 o'clock hour about his press conference. We kind of saw a side of him that we really hadn't been seeing where he was a little bit more emotional and you could kind of you could kind of you could kind of hear the the emotions in his voice and everything and that was something that we really have not seen from him ever oh well yeah not re- yeah you're right not he didn't really uh let it come out there was a few there was fewer g whizzes and the whole thing uh i'm glad they won the game otherwise joe would have had told us what a disappointment it was that they lost but anyway uh, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think one thing you got to give him credit for is uh, what I've heard is that this was for weeks now. They've pretty well kind of known this is the way he was leaning, but he basically would not get involved in any conversation, uh, even yesterday, about, okay, this is it, because he didn't want all that. He, I guess he saw the Jeter thing, and he talked to Jeter and uh, – you know, he 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 wasn't going to announce he was done and then have to go to Detroit and have somebody give him a chair or something like that. You know, he didn't he didn't you know him. He didn't want any part of that. And I think, you know, yesterday they could have had forty thousand in there yesterday if they'd said it was his last game. But he wasn't willing to do that. He did not want to do that whole thing. And they they had to. Dave St. Peter told me the video they played to start the game. He didn't know that was coming. And then they didn't know the little girls were going to jump over the fence and run out there either. By the way, look out for Cretan Athletics in about uh, 12 years from now. Did you see those two little girls motoring? Yeah. Yeah, they got yeah. yeah. Fast. <laughs> they, could, they could motor. They're going to be some soccer players. <laughs> and he's got a, another one coming. And uh, Billy's got four and Jake's got three. Oof. So they got 10, uh, they got 10 mowers on the way there at Cretan. So they uh, they should be in pretty good shape. The odds are good. The odds are good <laughs> in a decade or so. So, but it was fun. I'm glad it. I'm glad it ended up like it did, and uh, and I'm glad that you know he's getting a lot of tribute here. You know, we were all a little down there in a, in three four years ago when he wasn't when he was missing a lot of time and he was banged up and uh, it was uh, he, he was still trying to figure out how to play first base. But he ended up being a hell of a first baseman, and you know, here's Joe, Judd and I were talking about this yesterday, Phil. Here's the problem with him walking away. When Eddie Rosario's in the lineup, he's your second best player, mm-hmm. and when Eddie Rosario's not in your lineup, he's your best player. It's true. It is true that. Well, that's that's if you're putting Ashtadio on his own platform then yeah that would be that would be the case Williams. i think just in 360 he hit the 360 at 100 at bats opening day line i i think long long term next year i'd probably take joe but i'm saying that he's you know he's good he's he's he's, he's, they're gonna what are they gonna replace him with tyler austin striking out 175 times i i don't know hey pat so the feel good stuff is done what's your guess about uh, changes now upcoming I don't know. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm getting the same impression you are that they made that it's fifty-fifty on the manager. So I don't know what these guys are. And the guy I heard, everybody's saying, well, they want their own younger guy in there. Mm-hmm. The name I've heard is Brad Mills, who's sixty-one years old, hmm. the bench, the bench coach in Cleveland, uh, who you know obviously uh, 
he's the guy that went down to Houston and lost all the time and then got fired and they brought in Hinch and then he went back to Cleveland. But apparently he and Falvey are pals because he was a, he's a pitching guy too. So that's the name I heard. So, yeah. uh, I, I don't know what would be the object of changing managers, right? But what, what did Molitor do? What did he not do this year that they would have wanted him to do? That's the thing. The only the the and I'm not blaming Paul for this, but the only no. thing you would say is, okay, could somebody else squeeze more out of Sano and Buxton in some way? Right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. I don't know how you pin that on Paul, or if, you'd have to have more information behind the scenes. But no, that would be well, it. But but I mean, he had the meetings every day with the stat guys and the analysts, and he played the four man outfield, and he did the shifts, and he used the opener and. All the all the modern analytical things that we're aware of, he did without complaining. Obviously, it wasn't like Mike Stosher sitting in the dugout grumping because he had to do it. You know, he did it. So I, I don't know what. To me, I'm more surprised they won 78 this year with this collection of misfits than they did last year uh, with an 85. Yeah, I mean, really, 78 is probably 78 to 83 is probably where they should have been last year, and. Yeah, right. That was with Byron Buxton winning a gold glove and you know being out there for the whole season, basically. Platinum glove. Platinum, Platinum glove. Yeah, that's, that's on right. the media guy. Don't forget. That's right. Dozier, Molly, and Buxton. Boy, that media guy. On the guy, media guy. That aged well. Didn't work out so well, did <laughs> no. it? Man. And, well, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't know where they're going from here, but uh, they... they uh, if the Polad, if Jim Polad lets him fire Molitor, he's all in on whatever they. I think they're all in. If they fire Molitor, they're all in on about three more years of rebuilding, aren't you? So what? What's that place going to look like on opening day, two thousand twenty-two? There's no no faith for a, the two of us if we're still around. There's no faith for a ten-year, three hundred million dollar Machado signing, Pat. <laughs> uh, you know, he might look around and say. Yeah, money being equal, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. You're opening on March 28th. Bleep you. Yeah. I ain't playing for you. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow, Pat. Yeah, bye. <laughs> All right. We wrap with Royce every day. I'm kind of enjoying these one-game playoff situations. Yeah, it's great. Two-game 163s, and tomorrow we're going to have all kinds of playoff baseball on this radio station starting tomorrow night with the NL wildcard game. And uh, Mackie and Judd on demand at 1500ESPN.com. See you guys tomorrow.